Hi everyone, I'm Ahana. And I'm Celine. And welcome to another episode at the We, we Are Podcast. Podcast. So today's episode, you probably noticed like we're posting this on Saturday instead of Monday or Friday. But that's because um, Saturday is a very important a day. It's 9-11, which was the day, it's the 20-year reunion of... Reunion? Not reunion. Anniversary. Anniversary of the 9-11 attack, which happened on September 11th, 2001. So it's just, it's affected so many people in our country, and it's really important to talk about. Yeah. So we're just going to talk about, like, all the Yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about, like, the history, what mm-hmm. happened on the day, some heroes of the event, and, like, the lasting impact on our yeah. society. And, it, and it by did. the way, if I sound mm-hmm. a little congested, it's because I am. Oh. <laughs> I had a little bit of a cold, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It lasted you probably got it from me, honestly. Probably. <laughs> anyway. But, um, so, first we're going to start out with, like, background of, like, the terrorist group that, like, was the main kind of cause of it and like the background even before that so all right ready let's get ready and get into this okay so all of this kind of started like a long time ago you know there were a lot of historical events that kind of played a part in like what happened that day and like kind of caused them or like created them to happen so the afghan soviet war which took place in 1979 was one of the like leading causes that kind of led to like islamic extremist groups and like the group the al-qaeda group that like um took part in the 9-11 attack so what was that what was yeah that so the invasion oh okay, yeah, the Soviet okay. One. so the communist bloc wanted to spread the empire and started with the middle east so this was during like the soviet war or the soviet union so what's the soviet union so the soviet union was like they had fundamentalist values in like communism so communism what were they like who were they um russia yes yeah okay that's where you were so it was russia yeah so they had like values in like communism and communism is basically like it's kind of like extreme it's like the opposite of capitalism. So like capitalism is like the harder you work, the the more money you make, right? But communism is more like everyone has equal like everyone is equal to the point where it's like you you'd be waiting in line for like 10 hours to get yeah. a piece of bread, right? I, I think a good example for that is to say mm-hmm. that it's equal not fair. Mm-hmm. So right, it's right. like someone that, mm-hmm. So yeah, someone who like works 10 hours Mm-hmm. And, like, as a doctor would get the mm-hmm. same wage as someone who, like, right. worked at a donut right. shop. And to put this into perspective, like, we all have that teacher who gives everyone in 100% on everything. Mm-hmm. Even that student who spent 20 hours on it and the student who, like, rushed and spent two minutes on it. Yeah. That teacher would give them both 100. Whereas that's communist. That's, <laughs> that's how I see it, honestly. Yeah. It's kind of like a an analogy. Whereas capitalism would be, like... The kid who spent 20 hours would get in 100 while the other kid would get like a D, you know? So yeah. that's just explaining it. So the oil industry in the Middle East was super powerful at the time. And um, Arab secular nationalism, which supported socialism. By the way, socialism is very similar to communism. They're yeah. basically like fundamentally the same. But they had a stronghold in countries like Afghanistan, Iraq, and Jordan. And the Soviets grew relations with these countries. So during 1978, the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, which I'm just going to call the PDPA for short, because it's a really long name, um, they committed a coup to the Afghanistan president. So they basically just took over. 
Okay. Like, they're just like, we're taking over, right? So, and then Taraki, who was kind of like the main leader of the PDPA, he became like the dictator of the country. So, um, his name is Noor Mohammed Taraki. That was his full name. So, um, he was really close with the Soviet Union. Like, he had very socialist ideals. And he, in the Soviet Union, they had kind of like an allyship or a friendship. They were close. So, um, the Afghans did not like they did yeah. not like these socialist ideals and they didn't like this random force kind of taking over. So they fought back and they started a resistance group called the Mahadeen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Excuse me if I pronounce it wrong. By the way, um, I watched like a documentary on it, like a two hour mm-hmm. documentary on Netflix. Oh, the rise power or something right I, I, I that's cited, good but mm-hmm. they talk about all of this oh i i have to cite the podcast that i listen to i listen to a podcast yeah, actually we'll, we'll, we'll cite those both and you can check them out because they talk mm-hmm. like about this as well okay so taraki and the leaders of the pdpa issued a lot of policies which um challenged traditional afghan values and afghanistan had never really had a strong centralized government for thousands of years so this was so new to them and suddenly their values were being challenged and they were being taken over and they obviously did not like that right but then the leadership fell um when taraki who was like the dictator um he went to cuba and one of the other people in the pdpa who was like kind of lower down but was still a part of it he actually arrested taraki and took over so um his name was Hafizullah Amin, and he just took control of the government and arrested Taraki. So then the Soviet Union, they did not like that, right? Because they were allies with Taraki, and they're just like, no, this isn't happening. So they went over and assassinated Amin and evaded. They invaded Afghanistan and took control. So in 1980, Barbara Kamal was became the president and was implemented by the soviets so the pakistani government actually started like this group to train afghan fighters to fight against the soviet union because they were very unhappy so the soviet war fundamentally like it started when the soviets infiltrated the afghan government and they tried to persuade the afghans to like believe their ideals um so um the group of fighters as i said was called the Mahadeen, and there were different frac or factions of the group. Like they didn't all share the same ideologies, but they were coming together with a common cause, which was like a common enemy. Basically, they wanted to resist against that common enemy. So um, the U.S. actually supported the Mahadeen and was giving them like funneling them money and like weapons and stuff to support them. Um, but then. Um, Let's see. During the 90s, the U.S. and the Soviet Union actually signed an agreement saying the U.S. will no longer fund the Mahadeen if the Soviet Union will withdraw from Afghanistan. So the Soviet Union withdrew and the U.S. stopped funding them. Right. So that happened. And then basically there was no government in Afghanistan. And there's this group, the Mahadeen, and they all had like they had a common enemy before, but they have differing views. Like some of them are like, um, want to see an Islamic government while some of them just feel repressed. And some of them are actually people from the communist party's military who don't agree with the communist party. Right. Yeah. So, um, a civil war broke out in Afghanistan because these factions had such opposing, opposing views and there was no government to rule over them. So, um, they tried to agree on a transitional government, but one of the presidents, who was leader of the Islamic society, which was one of the different factions, refused to leave office in 99, 1994. And 
there was supposed to be a power sharing agreement um, that they were supposed to come to, right? So um, the other factions got really mad and they started like surrounding Kabul and basically Afghanistan just slipped into chaos because there was no government, no one could agree on anything. So then um, this is when the Taliban kind of came into power and started rising and began seizing control. And then Osama bin Laden kind of ties into this. So he was part of the Mahadeen. He grew up in a very wealthy family. He was born in 1957 um, and he was Islamic and, um, uh, sorry, um, along with Abullah Azam, who was a mentor of bin Laden, the men grew a financial network when the Soviets withdrew. So when US and the Soviets signed that agreement, um, they created Al-Qaeda. And Ahana will talk about that more yeah. in depth a little bit later. But um, the purpose was to fight future holy wars, right? So um, Azam was assassinated and then bin Laden became the leader of Al-Qaeda and he returned to Saudi Arabia. So the Saudi government had allowed US troops to be stationed in Saudi Arabia, which really made bin Laden mad. There were a lot of actions that kind of built up from the US that bin Laden did not like, and yeah. he just came mad, became very angered over time. So um, following the Iraq invasion of Kuwait in 1990, bin Laden had offered to defend Saudi Arabia with his Arab Legion, but the Saudi royals were like, no, we want the US to come and bring their troops here and defend us, not you. So he was very mad about that. And um, that's kind of when this hatred started. And then he was expelled from Saudi Arabia because of his anti-government actions and views. So he took refuge in Sudan and later on, later on, US servicemen who were part of a humanitarian mission in Somalia were killed and Americans were through soon after. And he saw this as kind of like a weak move on part of the Americans, like, oh, some of them were killed, so they just left, okay. right? So that also angered him. And then he goes on to declare a holy war on the US forces, and that led to the 9-11 attacks. So he wanted a global hidad, he, he are? Jihad. Jihad against the U.S., which is like a struggle or fight against the enemies of Islam. So he saw the U.S. as a major enemy of Islam. And there were many things that just angered him over time that kind of led to that and led to him starting Al-Qaeda. So. Okay. so yeah, basically what all that means is that Osama bin Laden was a part of a terrorist group called mm -hmm. Al-Qaeda. And they believe that anyone who isn't Islam and didn't believe in like the Islam like traditions and religion, mm -hmm. their viewpoint of Islam was like not worthy and should die, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about Al-Qaeda and what it is. Mm -hmm. So it's a terrorist group founded by bin Laden in the 18, or 1980s. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was 1988. And it was centered mm -hmm. around radical Islamic beliefs. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it, may, it merged with like a bunch of other militant Islamic organizations, including mm -hmm. the Jihad, which Celine was talking about. And several leaders declared holy war against the U.S. Mm -hmm. And this was like this organization was like very, very like, uh, like focused on basically like converting people to Islam and like punishing people that weren't Islam and like basically doing all these things so that people mm -hmm. would understand the importance of what they thought was like the holy religion. Right. Um, 
they they did several like suicide attacks, including Tanzania, which is the 1998 suicide bomb attacks against the U.S. warship Colon Aid in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Um, he also did several other attacks. There's just been like so many attacks everywhere, not even just in the U.S. and right. India, mm-hmm. which because they kind of have a rivalry with Afghanistan. So mm-hmm. this also kind of Al Qaeda was like the group behind the 9/11 attacks mm-hmm. and. The, the, during the 9-11, like, they many consider Osama bin Laden the mastermind of it. Right, um, right. And in 2001, 19 militants associated with al-Qaeda staged these uh, September 11 attacks. Mm-hmm. And within weeks, like, the U.S. was so frustrated. The Bush administration, George Bush, who, like, actually led the government during this time, mm-hmm. um, he was a president at the time, he sent thousands of troops to the... Afghanistan, which kind of started like what we were talking about in our news mm-hmm. updates, the long 20-year war with right. Afghans. Exactly. Um, so mm-hmm. they they actually were able to capture many people. But that's that's basically the background behind mm-hmm. Osama bin Laden. And actually, mm-hmm. uh, he was killed, he unfortunately, was. on May 2nd of 2011, which mm-hmm. is like 10 years after the 9-11 attacks, uh-huh. by military forces after they located him in a secure compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan, 31 miles away from Islamabad, mm-hmm. um, which honestly is so surprising to me because he survived 10 years. Yeah, because one of our main goals going into Afghanistan, putting our troops there, was to kill him, you know? Cause, yeah. Um, it, so it was a, I think I also want to mention something about like the Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. can, yeah, I probably say that wrong. But Muhad, I don't know. Mujahideen or something. I, Mujahideen. I, don't I know. hope we're pronouncing this right. But I'm the sorry. Mujahideen people, like they, mm-hmm. like I said, but like I just want to mm-hmm. say something real fast mm-hmm. is that they actually had like one of their leaders, Gulbuddin Hekmatyar. <laughs> oh God. Hekmatyar. Yeah, Hekmatyar. I don't know. These are he hard was to he names. was like one of the strongest leaders in the Mujahideen, right. and he was like he actually like at the time in Afghanistan, girls mm. would like go to university and they wore skirts and they didn't have head coverings. They were right. way more yeah. freer than today, mm-hmm. which is really weird to me because you would have think it as oh, the opposite. Yeah. Actually, the weird thing was during the Soviet Union when they like took over, their women had a lot more rights. Yeah. I mean, they were harsh; like they would just kill people if they didn't support communism. But they did also give a lot of people like rights. Yeah. But basically, they would wear skirts and stuff. And this mm-hmm. move. Mujahideen leader actually whose name was like Gulbuddin Haitai Kamar or something <laughs> he actually threw acid in the faces of girls at the Kabul University oh my god so if, if you guys don't understand like why why are the Mujahideen like bad news that's mm-hmm. why they are misogynistic and although yeah they did yeah. try to drive out the Soviet Union it was for selfish reasons yeah. but yeah now let's talk about like what actually happened yeah that. like what happened on that exact day so as we said it was september 11th 2001 a lot of people i've seen accounts from people and heard them and they yeah. said that it just seemed like a totally normal day right it was yeah, just like a beautiful, beautiful September day. day yeah so um why don't you tell us like what happened a little bit like so i'm gonna give a little bit of background on the buildings i'm sure celine will do too yeah so the first the two okay so there were like three major like like strikes um right basically mm-hmm. one of them was and the major ones were on the Twin Towers, mm-hmm. which the Twin Towers are these two large towers mm-hmm. in New York. They're, they're in called, the World Trade Center. Yeah, they're the World Trade the Center. The South and North. 
Yeah, the they're towers. the two towers and the World Trade Center in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was built in the 60s and 70s by Port mm-hmm. Authority, where their headquarters were. Um, and mm-hmm. power brokers wanted to build these two towers, the World Trade Center, for commerce and world trade, including the Rockefellers, which is mm-hmm. like a family that's very influential in business yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and another spot that was also hit, which was the Pentagon, was like it was kind of a base for like military, like the Navy, yeah. the Army. So. Yeah, the Pentagon was, is like a central U.S. intelligence. Yeah, base. Intel- so these were all like major targets, yes. right? Where we we have very critical and like it, they're vulnerable spots, like yeah. that are like major. I mean, major they did in- that for a point. Like the right. Twin Towers are like a staple of New York City. There's yeah. something where the mm-hmm. U.S. considers like their World Trade Center. That's a big deal. Exactly. And the Pentagon, mm-hmm. obviously. Also, there was a fourth plane that was hijacked that was going to crash into the Capitol, people think. Uh-huh. But we'll talk about that later. But actually, well, what happened... that survived. Right? I mean, not really survived. Or not, but... Yeah, but basically, the people, the passengers on board took over that plane were able to divert it from going to the Capitol. But we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... Um, so that was like the background of like the city. So mm-hmm. let's talk about like the Twin Cities and like what happened mm-hmm. there. Are the Twin yeah, Towers. Yeah, the Twin sorry. Towers. Okay. So at the Twin Towers, let's see. So okay, as we I'm said, trying to... okay. Sorry, so we're trying to find it. Yeah. Okay. So at eight twenty m, eight twenty one a m, um, Eastern time, a call was made to American Airlines emergency that there was someone from American Airlines there monitoring from Flight Eleven. Yeah. So someone who could potentially be a threat, right? So um, she said a flight attendant was quote advising a reps that the pilot everyone's been stabbed the person on the emergency was responded saying that this was a confirmed hijacking so hijacking is when someone who's trying to like kind of like take part in a violent act i guess kind of like takes over a plane like takes over something yeah yeah it's kind of yeah yeah and the hijackers turned his transponder off so they don't have a definitive altitude but they think he's descending so So basically what happened was mm -hmm. like they got a call from the flight attendant Mm -hmm. and they were like trying to figure out what's happening and at the time no one knew like what was happening because yeah all the like airport security like what we consider normal now was way different back then like they didn't have as much security they didn't Mm -hmm. make you scan or take off your shoes Mm -hmm. so they didn't really know that anyone on this plane was a threat yeah and i also heard that when the Twin Towers were hit. Like at first, when the first one was hit, people thought it was just like an accident. But yeah. when the second one was hit, that's when we realized like this is an attack, right? Yeah, by terrorists. Um. So, but they realized that the airplane was starting to mm-hmm. head towards the towers in New York City. So mm-hmm. a person named Glogowski. Glogowski. <laughs> she was an employee at the Twin Towers, and she said that at a quarter to nine, in the silence of the room, because the buildings were silent. Yeah. Uh, a sudden loud explosion noise. Okay. And Mm-hmm. she heard this huge boom and, and there was actually like a live stream done by i think it was fox news where you could mm-hmm. s- hear like the big explosion and wow a plane mm-hmm. was crashed into one of the towers on the side right right and tens mm-hmm. of thousands of people work in these buildings i mean yeah yeah people just going about their day-to-day life not expecting yeah, anything to happen definitely and i heard it, an analogy even that they would consider like the twin towers area like mm-hmm. a city inside of the city there would be yeah. up to like thousand people there in a day right 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 and so they the next thing she described feeling was that the buildings were shaking violently like mm-hmm. they were rumbling right, and right. a lot of people say to this day they can still remember like the shaking of the building and like the rubble and what they saw 
like there we'll get into like stories and personal accounts later on but yeah it's um now do you want to talk about like the pentagon oh wait we have to talk about the other plane oh right yeah I'm so okay sorry. so at I, 903 so which is like a couple of um like probably 40 minutes after after the first, the first plane, plane hit, hit mm-hmm. the plane which was united 175 uh became clear that it wasn't just like an accident mm-hmm. because this right. plane united 175 was descending there was actually a phone mm-hmm. call recorded and the men the first man says look out your window and the second one says yeah, and then he says, do you see an airplane descending at around 4,000 feet elevation? And he mm-hmm. says, yes, I do. And then you could see the plane blatantly crashing into the side of the oh South Tower, God. which was the second one to be hit. Um, mm-hmm. And it was awful. I mean, the the people, like, at the time, they thought it was an accident. But when that second plane hit, they knew That's it was when they it. knew it's not a coincidence. Yeah. It's a terrorist attack. It's, it's awful. And. And I think it was really, like, a big pivotal moment because people didn't know what to do. They were terrified. Yeah, it was chaos. Yeah. It was complete chaos, right? Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. And so, um, actually, uh, I think after – and then the third aircraft, which mm-hmm. went into, like, Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. hit the Pentagon. Hit the Pentagon, so right. So that was American 77, and it was from American mm-hmm. Airlines. It was another one that got hijacked and yeah it went straight into the side of the pentagon and i was listening to a first-hand account of someone from the pentagon oh yeah yeah they were talking about how she mm-hmm. was like in the pentagon and she could hear smoke and they were just crawling and their lungs were like bursting. yeah a lot of people like yeah the smoke made them like that's when they first realized something was happening because they could smell the yeah. smoke and right. they also they described things as being hot like the windows were hot and right smoke. so it's really sad because 125 people were killed at the Pentagon. Yes. Um, the plane that struck the Pentagon was American Airlines Flight 77. Did we say that already? I said that. Yeah. Okay. But it was scheduled to go to Los Angeles National Airport when it was hijacked. And the crew had 53 pa- passengers and five hijackers. Yeah. So the hijackers stormed the cockpit and forced the passengers, crew, and pilots to the rear end of the aircraft less than 35 minutes into the flight. Just imagine being on that flight and then these like yeah. people just force you... Like, like, that would be so unexpected and, then, and scary. And especially for the people in the Pentagon at the time, that must have been so scary. Oh, yeah. And I actually sure. also had, like, mm-hmm. a, my mom actually worked right next to the Pentagon when it really? happened. Oh, my um, gosh. So, she, there's, like, a Pentagon, and then there's a road, like, a highway or something. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there's a strip of buildings, like, work offices. Right. My mom worked in one. And we were watching this oh documentary, and she's like, I worked in that building. You can see it from the Pentagon. And it was, like, directly Does she across. still remember, like, what happened? Oh, she does. She mm-hmm. said, I can't describe to you how scary it was not knowing what's going to happen next. But at the time, just, again, the news was, like, saying, like, oh, this might be a terrorist attack. But people in the building mm-hmm. all across that strip just thought the pentagon got a fire because of like some emergency or something right they didn't know that it was a plane crash they just thought it they was didn't know fire. it was intentional either they yeah. saw the smoke and my mom when she got in the car she had like this sinking feeling and then she watched oh the news God. and she heard that it was a terrorist attack and it's yeah. terrifying for so it many is. people. And a lot of people still remember it today and have lasting effects, which we will discuss in the second half, like the mental aspect of it all. Yeah. But um, Hani Hanjour, who was one of the hijackers, um, assumed control of the plane. And at 9.37 a.m., the plane crashed into the western side of the Pentagon. Yeah. And 
actually the pentagon had to be reconstructed in 2002 it took 500 million dollars but we were able to reconstruct it the um on september 11th 2002 we finished which was like the year after it happened so yeah. it's kind of symbolic like but yeah i think most mm. of the reconstruction took mm. up to eight months which yeah. was like insane and it's something that like even if we can reconstruct stuff and even if we can like get rid of all the rubble and clean up it's still gonna be a part of our history and yeah. we're still gonna remember it no matter what you yeah. know so all right now for like the last <sighs> main major plane story oh the plane that like the yeah. plane that yeah. took back its plane so yes. this plane was the plane united 93 mm-hmm. um many people on this like airline actually were able to like acquire cell phones and call their families they oh. would i i heard mm-hmm. when it was devastating this mother mm-hmm. called her kids and she says oh hi gosh. babies i just want you to know that i love you and something's wrong with the plane but just know that i love you so much and you'll get through it that's so sad yeah oh my gosh and so there was phone calls recorded you could hear people but a group of the planes um after it got hijacked a group of the civilians on the plane actually decided that okay we're probably gonna die no matter what but we're not gonna let the people in the capital die too so they the brave group of passengers stormed the cockpit where the hijackers were located and they were able to kind of like distract them and take it over so that it crashed in Somerset County, Pennsylvania. So all of the passengers on the plane did die, but they also prevented thousands of deaths. They prevented. That's so heroic. Like, yeah. Definitely. Think of how brave. They, like, they're like, we know we're going to die, so we might as well save a, like so many lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that was I feel like that's one of the bravest things you could possibly do. And I think it's just beautiful that like. It's beautiful. So yeah, it, it was insane. I I think what they did was just so, so good. But I think that is one of the best things about our country that we have people like that. You know, yeah. who will just are willing to sacrifice everything to save lives. I think that's yeah. amazing. Anyway, so there was like a lot of like there. You could hear like some kind of like the phones and like some voices of like the terrorists during this part but i'm not going to get into that because we have a limited amount of time but i just want to emphasize this again Mm -hmm. no one knew it was going to happen actually our social Mm -hmm. studies teacher in sixth grade Mm -hmm. had a husband who was a pilot who was actually flying a flight at the time and she Mm -hmm. thought maybe that he got like maybe he was getting hijacked too. but luckily Mm -hmm. he was safe He, he was like a single pilot like flying mm-hmm. goods i think so and i think it was also there. scary even if you weren't physically involved in the attack in the attack knowing someone yeah. who was there and like having that fear about their yeah. life or losing someone which we'll talk about a lot in the second half all right so, so are we done with the first half i think we are um so second half is more like mentally how that impacts people how it still impacts people even 20 years later in our country and so please stay tuned all right bye bye I'm Hara and I'm Celine and welcome back from the break. Wait, we don't introduce ourselves when it's back from the break though. Yeah, but welcome back. For the okay, break. welcome back if you don't know our names already. And um, <clears throat> <Let's get over. laughs> excuse me, don't push me like I'm some. Okay. <laughs> anyway, 
So in honor of 9-11, we've been covering mm-hmm. it for, like, this episode. And now we're right. going to be talking about more of, like, the mental and, like, long-lasting impact mm-hmm. of things. So, and, yeah. Yeah, and everything that goes along with that. Okay, so, so first off, Celine's going to be talking about, like, the story of some 9-11 survivors. Yeah, like, some of th- – these are all very varying stories. Like, some people weren't even involved in the attack. They just know someone who was. And just the different impacts they have in different age groups and different people. So um, I'm going to leave the – story of the hero for last you know to end off i'm good now okay let's talk about rob Riley, who is just you know a citizen who's just living his life you know going through the actions of his day and he can say he said he still remembers everything vividly to this day he said it was quote probably the most beautiful day we've had in a long time a lot of people have said that like it was just a beautiful september day you know so he went to work at seven that day and the offices at the offices of the 25th and 26th towers which was in the twin towers in the world trade center um just going i feel like just going from thinking it'll be a normal day and going on with your life to something surprising happening i feel like the element of surprise made it so much harder for a lot of people like mentally right it makes it very traumatic um riley says he can even remember the building swaying he said quote when we got across to the other side and you looked up and you saw those holes in the flames and then people waving towels like help please help they're stranded they're stuck then you start looking up. You're in amazement. You're like, what was that? And something. Then you see it again. And then you realize it's people jumping. At 1.4, oh. people held hands and jumped. How hard it had to be to know that you're jumping to your death. That's so awful. he had to watch people jump to their death because there were fires. So it's like you either was die the from Pentagon the fire. Was that the or the towers? Um, it was at the towers. Okay. So it's like you either die from the fire or you die from jumping down together. And these people were holding hands and jumping down together. And yeah. that's really sad. I also heard <laughs> a story at the Pentagon about mm-hmm. from this um, colonel. Mm-hmm. She was in the documentary I was talking about earlier. But uh-huh. she was telling, saying how she was stuck and she felt it was her responsibility to get people out. Yeah. And they would yeah. literally jump out of the windows. And luckily they survived. But oh she gosh. had burned and she had severe yeah. lung damage from the mm-hmm. smoke. So a lot of people thought they wouldn't even make it. So. Yeah. And just seeing people have to jump to their deaths is so traumatic yeah. you know he riley said that families will never forget the feel, fear they felt um he has a son at the time he had a son in kindergarten and his wife picked up their son his son asked um his wife if he was dead and at that point the wife didn't know she oh. didn't know what was happening like she couldn't tell the son like oh yeah he's totally fine he's alive because she didn't know so it was so hard for people like the wife and the kid too who knew yeah. someone in the attack and um Riley said he went to 30 to 50 memorials after this. That's a lot of people. Like, okay. um, he said, quote, these memorials we'd go to, there would just be pictures of all our friends hanging around, little children running around, sometimes a wife who was still pregnant. That's so sad. That's awesome. Who lost her husband. Yeah. Um, it was surreal. No one had a body to bury. No one found anyone. Um, he said, quote, the Wall Street, the brokerage, they were fraternity. So imagine um, these are all your fraternity brothers. Imagine losing those people. Yeah. Like losing family and losing coworkers and employees and yeah. friends. And um, he said he will never forget that day. So, all right. All right. So, next we have the oh my gosh, I just scrolled down too much. The story of a 16 year old 
who was just going about her normal day in high school when the okay. attack happened. So her name was Christina Lozano, I'm sorry. And um, she was 16 at the time and attending Mary Bergtraum High School, which was blocks away from the Twin Towers. So it was right next to it. So she said, by the time the plane hit, she was in English class. She can still remember um, the school building shaking and being hit by debris. Yeah. And these are like high schoolers. No, debris like, was everywhere. There was like yeah. burning papers oh, floating yeah. around. Oh, like, yeah. it was insane. And people actually were like hit by the rubble and like under yeah. the rubble. So her school was evacuated soon after and no trains were running. A lot of roads were blocked. So she said she and her friend had to find a way home and they finally found a bridge to Brooklyn. She said, quote, I remember running on the Manhattan Bridge with my friend Sonia and someone actually saying there's another plane coming, which everyone said to run. Um, this was really scary for her. She did make it out and she was okay, but she said she still has effects, like mental effects after the attack. She said she struggled to sleep and felt easily anxious. And she's very paranoid about, about loud noises. A lot of people with PTSD, yeah. when something either triggers them or when a loud noise comes, it gives them a lot of anxiety and kind yeah. of brings back memories that they don't want to think about. And researchers say that people who experience the event were more likely to develop depression or PTSD, which makes sense. Obviously. So, yeah, being that young and having those lasting effects, even 20 years after the attack. And I heard a lot of happens. people had, like, survivor's guilt, too. Oh, and survivor's guilt. Let's talk about that for a little yeah. bit. It's where, like, you start thinking, like, why was I the one who survived when so many other people died? Yeah. And it makes you feel guilty that you survived when other people didn't. Yeah, it makes you think that, like, mm -hmm. you could have done something. Or, like, yeah, or you, you could have done something. You didn't deserve or it. you didn't deserve to be alive when so many people died yeah. and that's so hard to face because it was 100% not their fault right yeah um so that's another aspect of it along with anxiety and PTSD and a lot of anger I feel like towards the people yeah. who okay headed the attack so um then I have the story of a girl who is actually 10 months old she doesn't really remember her father, but her father died during the attack. And this has affected her whole life. Yeah. Even though she wasn't a part of it and physically there. So her father was Leroy Homer, and he was a co-pilot of the United Flight 93. Um, he died during the 9-11 attack. So as I said, Laurel Homer was only 10 months old when her father was killed. She said, quote, I don't know that much. It's something that I just don't ask about. And she said that walling off her dad's death and not thinking about it has been like a coping mechanism because she feels different from other kids. Like she feels yeah. weird. Like she has Especially this thing that Especially since you've happened. never really known him. Right. And she doesn't have a dad. Right. And she yeah. feels like it's been a protective measure to just not think about it. And she was very ashamed of it, she said, because it made her feel vulnerable and different. So um, she was very traumatized from a young age. And she said, quote, the way my mom explained it to me was that there were bad men on the plane and that he was gone because of those bad men. So then it basically made me terrified of all men, including family members, strangers, and everybody. Oh. So I think it's another aspect of paranoia. Like when something yeah. like that happens, like, Obviously, she was so young, so now she's thinking, like, all men are evil, right? Yeah. Because these men were the ones who killed her dad, so. Yeah, that's also, mm -hmm. I feel like that's a recurring thing. I've heard stories mm -hmm. about people, mm -hmm. like, this is unrelated, but people who have been mm -hmm. abused by men, and then they think all men are evil. Right, exactly. Or they just have even if it's surrounding them. Even if it's a small group of people, it's like, they start thinking that, 
like everyone is like that because they're so traumatized. And also, I think that has something to do with race as well, which I'll talk about. We'll talk about that later. Right. So she went to child therapy in a summer camp for children who lost parents during 9-11. And she said that helped. She said it's a hard place when you saw a future that you never got to have with her dad. And um, she's now 20 and starting her senior year at Rutgers University and majoring in companion animal science. That's pretty cool. Um, She said she likes to avoid memorial services because it just... um, kind of like triggers her, I guess, or just, um, and she said there's constant reminders everywhere of what that day meant for her and her family. Even though she wasn't there, that day impacted her and her family so greatly. And to honor Leroy Homer's legacy, who's the father who died, Laurel's mother, Melody Homer, established the Leroy W. Homer Jr. Foundation, which provides scholarships to young people interested in careers in aviation. Which is really cool. So, yeah. All right. So then the last story I have is about someone who's very heroic and actually saved two people. Oh, wow. To get under. He was a fire or a police. He was part of the police department. The NYPD? So, yeah. Okay. So, the um, NYPD is the New York Police Department. New York Police Department. Yeah. So he actually won the highest honor from the New York Police Department for helping to save the lives of two other officers. So on 9-11, he was assigned to the emergency service unit. So the day before he went to work to do a midnight tour and he was just on his way home to Long Island on a train when he heard a radio show talking about a plane that had obstructed the World Trade Center. And he said he couldn't see what they were talking about because he was on a train and just listening to it. And he couldn't grasp it at first. He actually thought it was a joke like this can't be happening yeah and um he was confused and didn't really know what was going on so he got into his car and raced home and um he was expecting to just go home that day and kind of like relax and have a day off but he knew like he was like it's my duty to like serve my country like i have to go out there and save people so he ran into the house and turned the tv on and he said that at the time he knew we were under attack when he looked at the tv he realized I need to get back to work. Even though he wasn't on duty, he was like, I need to get there. So he raced into Manhattan and got to his building and was assigned to a rescue team to search for survivors. So in the evening, Strauss was notified that Port Authority Police Sergeant John McLaughlin and rookie officer Will Jamero were trapped beneath 30 feet of rubble. That's so, like, that could crush your, like, organs and stuff. They would have died if it weren't for them, definitely. So Strauss and his team ventured over there to help, and it took more than three hours to rescue them. That's a lot of effort. And he said when reflecting on the experience, he gets very emotional. He said, quote, you better believe I wanted to get out of there, but I don't think I could have left them and gone home to my kids knowing I left them. So he's like, it was a bad situation. I wanted to get out of there. He was putting himself in danger to be there, but he's like, I couldn't just leave. I had to save them, right? And... um. He said it was tough, but being a part of that rescue helped me survive emotionally and personally. I helped someone get home to their families. That's really That's nice. really brave. That's a touching story. So, yeah. Uh, so, all right. Now we're going to talk about long-lasting effects even yeah, 20 years Yeah, which is kind of related to, like, the mental things. Right. And mm-hmm. I have, like, four main lasting effects mm-hmm. that I want to talk about. So the first one is mm-hmm. a good one. Actually, I'll probably talk about this one last because it's a good mm-hmm. one. Okay, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to talk the first one, which is action, which I kind of classify this as like mm-hmm. the actions brought by the government. Like federal of, actions? Yeah, federal yeah. actions brought by mm-hmm. the tax. So less than a month after 9-11, the U.S. troops invaded Afghanistan in mm-hmm. an attempt to like dismantle al-Qaeda. Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they they actually, President Bush, who was like the president under this time, he was mm-hmm. very upset, understandably. And right, he really exactly. wanted to like get 
the Bin Laden killed, which we talked about in the first Yeah, time. Osama Bin Laden, yeah. So this military involvement, which we were talking about in, like, five news updates, actually ended right. this August, yeah. but mm-hmm. it was because of the 9-11 attacks, mm-hmm. and it was the longest war in U.S. history. So mm-hmm. um, after 9-11, the budgets for defense-related agencies also skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. Homeland Security's discretionary mm-hmm. budget jumped from about $16 billion in 2002 to more than $43 billion in Wow. Uh, 2011. Wow. Um, and meanwhile, the budgets of like the, all the other, like the Transportation Security Administration, the Border Control, mm-hmm. Coast Guard, they've all doubled since 2011. Mm-hmm. So they're really trying to like up their precautions and up like right. their and make sure this doesn't safety happen measures. again. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so over the last 20 years, millions of young U.S. soldiers have been mm-hmm. deployed overseas to help combat the Afghanistan and Taliban rise to power. Um, right. With, Which again we've talked about. Yeah, a lot. and they return home mm-hmm. with like debilitating physical and mental injuries. Um, yeah. which which could mm-hmm. be like PTSD, like Selene was talking about, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all of these post 9-11 like operations, mm-hmm. some ten seven thousand American troops have been killed in Afghanistan and Iraq, according mm-hmm. to like the US Bureau. And as well as hundreds of thousands of Afghani and Iraq citizens, as well as contractors, journalists, troops, and like opposition. And there have been 52,000 people from Afghanistan who have been wounded while trying to fight American troops, or like American yeah. troops that have been wounded. And there have been so many different like traumatic brain injuries, PTSD, etc. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. awful. Um, it is. And along with this is like airport security reform oh right insane i we've had to become way more cautious before 9-11 you could Mm -hmm. bring knives on the plane you could bring really actually how the hijackers took over was using box cutters they used box cutters to like threaten people and because those were allowed at the time you were allowed uh, cigarette lighters box cutters you'd never be allowed that out yeah um, and even like body scans weren't a thing ever like you didn't have to show your id most i mean i think it was it is good that we have more security now because it's definitely important right because stuff like this happens yeah and um they they also have to like like do a lot more screening um and and in the 9-11 attacks the tsa was like instructing new security procedures and managing screenings at every commercial airport checkpoint in the country Mm -hmm. so it was really severe like just comparing things they're so severe and I, I also now I want to talk about like racism and how it plays a role right. in this because um, I think the Islamic religion was sort of like yeah. people misinterpreted it and started making general generalizations about Muslims and that religious yeah so like along with this like comes with like immigration before I kind of like get into that but immigration was like severely restricted which which is understandable because of like the terrorist attacks they were from immigrants but also what they did in in result of that was that they were many innocent people who like wanted to escape their country's dire situations were able to immigrate um it was so strict that so many people were just like sad and and also um i have like a personal story so my mom Mm-hmm. Her parents are from India. She immigrated here before 9 11 uh-huh. when she was a teenager, and so did my dad. Mm-hmm. But my mom's wedding was like in February of 2002, right? Which was bef- like after the 9 11 attacks, and mm-hmm. her own dad couldn't come to her wedding, and oh. neither could her mom because 
after the attacks happened, they put so many restrictions and slowed down everything to the point oh, where they couldn't get a green they card. Even get in. Yeah. So she she was she had to experience that, and she said it was so sad for her because she wanted her mm-hmm. dad and mom to be there. Like, yeah, I mean, can yeah, you imagine of how your parents not at everyone wants their parents at their wedding. Unless, like, so that was that's devastating. I mean, immigration was just insane there, and mm-hmm. hate crimes was insane. Um, I yeah. actually would like to talk about like the Sikh community in specific because mm-hmm. the Muslim community obviously faced a lot of like tashback, but the mm-hmm. Sikh community, which has like nothing to do with Islam and like. Right. They, they have nothing to do, but they actually, a part of their religion is to wear turbans, which a lot of people associated mm-hmm. with Al-Qaeda, yeah. they were yeah. subject to so many hate crimes. Like, oh. after the 9-11 mm-hmm. attacks, the Sikh coalition actually documented over 300 ca- cases of violence oh and discrimination gosh. against Sikh. Even Americans. though they didn't even have anything to do with it. Yeah. Right. And by the way, Sikh is like a religion. Um, mm-hmm. It's Indian a religious religion. group. Yeah. yeah. And so, 10% in the of six in the San Francisco Bay Area reported being like the target of hate crimes. People were denied jobs because of this. Um, actually, a police a person was not able to like become a police officer in the NYPD because he wore a turban due to his oh. religion. Um, a person named Frank Singh was called a t- terrorist and fired at by an AutoZone store because he refused to remove his turban. Mm-hmm. Um, many people have been called terrorists. Like, people I know have been called terrorists because of their religion, oh, Muslim or Sikh. That's so sad. And, and, and there's just been so much profiling of people just because mm-hmm. they look like... I think it's because it was so traumatic that people now are, like, generalizing a group based yeah. on a small group that isn't representative at all of the whole population. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it, it has been, like, insane it, how many people mm-hmm. have just been harmed. And... Mm-hmm wrongly they have nothing to do with any of this they are just right. regular citizens mm-hmm. who honestly just want to live their lives in america yeah um, some of them are even american citizens that were just born here but just look different so. yeah and i just want to say like we're not at all trying to like say anything bad about like the islamic religion or anything yeah. it actually wasn't really the religion it was just an extremist view and like a lot of actions yeah. that led up to it it's not anything to say like the religion is bad or anything yeah, it's just definitely. an interpretation of violence and yeah the people that started Mm al-qaeda they aren't like the rest of the world's muslims they they put an extremist radical perspective on very extremist so other muslims that people who live in america their Mm -hmm. friends they don't believe in any of what they exactly exactly. it's like subgroups of Mm -hmm. christians even like they they perform the capital right you know that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that all like white people are bad exactly so it it just Mm kind of like depends on like certain groups so you can't mm-hmm. generalize people yeah yeah so all right the last one i want to talk mm-hmm. about of the lasting effects is unity and yeah i think this is one of the good best one. effects of 9-11 and although we regret oh, 9-11 yeah. we wish it never happened we wish we oh, took yeah. the precautions mm-hmm. previously they also helped us in becoming a legacy for americans and bringing mm-hmm. us together bringing us together yeah yeah because as much as like the pain that was inflicted by the mm-hmm. event it makes us come together and like grief together and it gives us a sense of unity i think it was like a shared experience that everyone in the country was suffering from so we were able to band together and help each other and i think that's amazing yeah so. and it taught us so many valuable lessons mm-hmm. and was able to like get us to reform things it was able mm-hmm. to help us um kill the leader of the al-qaeda it was able to help us do put forward so many steps in securing mm-hmm. the safety of our country yeah, so I think um, now, like, looking back on that, obviously, 
we wish it would never it never would have happened and there were a lot of negative effects coming out of that but i think there were a lot, also a lot of brave people and a lot of people who are you know were able to come together in like so i think it's important to recognize that too. all right so that so, concludes our 9 11 do you have any like last words to the world about it just please don't generalize people mm-hmm. and also we are so sorry for anyone who ever oh, had yeah. to go through that. Anyone who lost someone, anyone who knows someone who lost someone, anyone who was anyway connected in or involved in it. Yeah. Just we we mm-hmm. give our respects to you and you are brave for going through that. And strong. Um, and if you know anyone who doesn't mm-hmm. go has been going through that, ask them, reach out because they mm-hmm. might need help. And don't be afraid to get help. Yeah. Yeah. So and also I think talk about it. I think as a society, we need to talk about this stuff. Yes. Like, I don't think we should just ignore this. Like, post a story about it on your Instagram. Talk about it. Yeah. Like, um, I I think it was really good how on 9-11, like, sixth grade, our, like, some of my teachers talked about us. Yeah. It, and in seventh grade, my social studies teacher showed us videos. And I think that was good. And also, I, think- I feel like a lot of people know like the general idea but they don't know the details and so watching like documentaries like i said are very entertaining listening to podcasts and i feel like as much as we can focus on the good things that have happened in our country we need to recognize the pain that we have experienced so we can help the people who have experienced that pain and like work towards becoming a united society all right so all right so thank you so much for listening please spread the word about this and talk about it share your experiences if yeah you're up you for can it. share um, it with us on instagram we'd be happy to hear it our um, at is at we are underscore youth org and we can also email us or check out our website where we yeah, talk so much yeah. about this stuff um, um all of our sources will be linked to the bio yeah and today's a hard day but um i'm hoping the best for everyone who's like struggling with it and, and we you know. pay respect to that yes all right it was all right so thank you so much for listening um we're actually posting a news update this week but we're not going to talk about 9-11 in that update because we are yeah in this episode and it will so, be posted on wednesday instead of its usual mm, monday yeah so all, all right, right so bye